reminded of when I was a young boy, about 10 years old, there in New York, trying to run away from the old music. Back then, I, I didn't have a mind for Jesus. But I remember the last night of the evangelistic meeting. The preacher, I don't remember what he preached, but I remember he said, come back to El Bethel. Didn't know what he was talking about. I, I had my eyes on a, a young girl, you know. Yeah. But, but when, he, when, when she started singing, all of a sudden, my feet started walking. Come on now. I don't know how I got to the front. I'm in front, standing in front of hundreds of people, the first one to give their lives to the Lord. I still didn't have a mind for Jesus, but he's been patient with me since that day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we don't have a mind for you all of the time. Sometimes we have a mind for tornadoes, a mind for floods, a mind for work, a mind for a 401k that's not what we want it to be. Father, we, we have a mind that predicts dates and looks down on others who predict dates. But Father, this morning we step aside from all of the distractions to set our mind upon you. Uh, Father, we ask for the blessing of your spirit. Take away the defenses this morning as we look at your word and to receive your son once again. In your name we do pray. Amen. In 2008, Lincoln, Ohio was put on the map by an ESPN profile. Mm -hmm. They were profiling two wrestlers named D'Artagnan Crockett and Leroy Sutton. You can just look at the names and tell where they come from, D'Artagnan and Leroy. They were different in every way. D'Artagnan, he was 189 pounds, almost six feet tall. Leroy was 171 pounds and was about five feet tall. Crockett is, was much taller than Sutton, but their commonalities were outweighed by their differences. But when you look at their differences, they're, they're binded in another way. They're both black. They're wrestlers. They live in Cleveland and they attend the same high school, but they both have physical challenges. D'Artagnan Crockett is legally blind since birth. He was born with a disease called Leber's disease, a condition that causes acute visual loss. He's severely nearsighted. He can barely make out facial features of a person standing five feet in front of him. He said, I did feel like something was wrong with me because I was completely different. I feel like I'm some kind of a freak. Ah, but one day, he met someone who could empathize with him, but not by blindness and by another physical disability. Leroy Sutton. His disability wasn't congenital, but he, it was acquired through a train accident when he was eight years old, and he had to have his legs amputated. Leroy Sutton and D'Artagnan was two peas in a pod. They formed a relationship when they met at Lincoln West High School during a wrestling practice. D'Artagnan. He now carries Sutton, who's an amputee, and Sutton, who can't walk, he sees for the person who's legally blind. He says, I'm his wheelchair. He's also my drill partner and teammate. I'd carry him to his next match at another school if no bus was possible. Crockett says, because people constantly tell me that I can't do things because of my lack of sight, I want to prove them wrong when I wrestle. 
these physically challenged wrestlers have bonded and they won't let anything hinder their desire to be better. They have been labeled. I said they have been labeled, but they know how to help each other in their weakness. That's exactly what Christianity is. People who know that they're sinners in need of a savior, but who aren't limited and defined by their condition. We're going to see how to move beyond our limitations in this message entitled, He Changed My Name. He Changed My Name. Turn again with me in your Bibles to Mark 4. Mark 5, sorry. Mark 5, verses 24 to 29. And I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. And the Bible says, Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and she had suffered many things from many physicians, and she spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. But when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed from her affliction. Labels. Me as a man, I have to read them every day, well, every other day in the grocery store to help me to decide the nutritional value of the food that I need to buy. Labels. That they help us to determine the best quality of clothes and then the best quality of products. Labels, they're they're helpful when they're used what they're designed for, but they're not so helpful when we use them in another way. They're not helpful when we use them to to predetermine someone based upon appearance or even behavior. Jesus of Nazareth has just calmed a raging storm, showing his power over superstitious labels. The disciples thought he was just a man, but when he speaks peace to a raging storm, they see beyond the labels and they say, what manner of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. He also heals a demoniac, showing his power over satanic labels. The disciples see a man cutting himself, but Jesus sees a man made in the image of God. And to show him their hypocrisy, he says, what's your name? Name your label. What's your name? What's your label? How have people defined you? People have called you legion, but you will not be defined by the thing that's inside of you. You will not be defined based upon how you look or where you live, or you will not be defined by your outward behavior. Come out of him, you unclean spirit. He is not a demon. He is a man. Jesus moves beyond labels. Yes, he does. Jesus challenges labels, and now he steps on the shore of Galilee, needing rest. Verse 21 says, but all of a sudden a crowd ensues him to meet him with more labels. Out of that crowd comes a synagogue ruler named Jairus, a ruler who has a name. He has status. He has respectability. And he comes to Jesus and begs him to raise his daughter who's at the edge of death. And the Bible says in verse 24, a man with a label, Jesus follows him and a large crowd Presses him on every side. The crowd is surrounding him and pressing him on every side, almost to the point of suffocation, wondering what he will do next. 
even though the Son of God is almost crushed by the people, he knows that there is someone in the crowd who needs to see the great physician to get healing for their label. There are those in the crowd who have labeled Jesus as a good teacher. There are those in the crowd who have labeled Jesus as just a prophet. But there are those in the crowd who have labeled him the son of God. In the crowd, there is a woman. Jesus knows who she is and he knows what she wants. She has been following him for some time now, wanting to just talk to him about a personal problem. She's following in the crowd, trying to get to the master. All of the people around Jesus are preventing her from getting to him. She believes if she could just talk to him, then she could be helped. She was in stable condition at home. And now she's following Jesus. She goes from serious to critical. And when she follows Jesus in the crowd, she believes that all of her problems will be solved if she could just get a word with the master. Just let me get to Jesus and I know everything will be all right. The Bible says in verse 25 that a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. It made her entire adult life a burden. The man has a name and he tries to use that name to get favor with God. But this woman is called a certain woman. She's a no name, a nobody, a woman. She's called a certain woman. She's an anonymous sufferer. She's a Jane Doe in the middle of all of these people. She's not like Leah who was barren and childless. She's a certain woman. She's not like Hannah who cried out to God in her desperation in the temple. She is a certain woman. She's not like Hagar who saw the one who saw her and declared, I have seen the one who sees me. But she is a certain woman. Yes, she is. She's not like Mary who was blessed among women and highly favored by God. It's possible that this certain woman has been sicker longer than Mary has been alive when she was first visited by God. She is a certain woman. She's a certain woman who's suffering in anonymity, but she is bleeding. She's bleeding and she's continued to bleed and she is labeled based upon her bleeding. The law of Moses said in Leviticus 15 that if a woman bleeds continuously, it's unclean for seven days. And if she doesn't stop bleeding, then she'll be alienated from God forever. Jairus is known by his name, but she is known by her issue. She's like the man who had leprosy who cried out, unclean, unclean. She's like the demoniac who cut himself and lived among the dead, known by their issue. Have mercy. She's like the man in church who had an unclean spirit who cried out to Jesus. She's among the anonymous. She's among the labeled, among the forgotten. Why do I have to be known by my issue? I have a name. So she's alienated from something that she cannot control. She is spit beyond measure and every turn in the crowd taxes her even more. And everything she touches become unclean. In other words, because of your sickness, God is distant and unapproachable. She is a certain woman who bleeds. But not only is she a certain woman who bleeds, she's also a certain woman who suffers. The Bible describes her ordeal as a plague or a scourging or an affliction. She thinks that God is punishing her for something that she has done or not have done. She is described as being whipped by a deadly disease, being whipped. 
Well, what are you talking about whipped? It, it paints the picture in the original language that, that she receives lashes in church. A person who was whipped had, had 40 lashes, 26 on the front and 13 on the back. And they were bound and chained in church over a rock while one person would, 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 would whip them, another person would count the whips, and a third person would recite Bible curses in church on God's day. She's been whipped like this every day for 12 years. She's a certain woman who's suffering. She, she thinks that the thing that's killing her can make her comfortable. She's been in pain for so long, she thinks that it will always be like this. She begins to identify with her issue. The pain is breaking her psyche. She's like the woman who was bent over for 18 years, who comes to church a place of answers, but leaves with more questions. She's like the man by the pool of Bethesda for, eight, for 38 years. His abnormal situation became normal. The thing that's been hurting for so long just because you're in that condition, it doesn't make it normal. She's called a certain woman. In her desperation, she attempts to find a cure. Verse 26 says that she has endured under much suffering under the hands of many physicians and have spent all that she had but was no better, but instead was growing worse. She needs to be treated. She needs to be cured. She needs to be healed. But her failure to thrive is getting worse and worse. She attempts to go to doctors and priests, but they can't do anything after seven days. Most of the medical treatments in the ancient world are superstitious. They had you carry around ostrich eggs and recite different incantations, very superstitious. So she goes to the hospital. She goes to church and nothing helps. Luke says she spent all of her living, all of her substance trying to find help where there was no help. And she just ends up with more suffering and more labels. She is ritually unclean because the law condemned her kind. Even if she sacrificed an animal every day, it wouldn't help. The animal, the lamb, would only symbolically take away her sin and her hurt. And it would exchange that hurt with the promise. That the Messiah would come in the future and save her from all sin and all hurt. But she needs help now. Not something in the sweet by and by in the great getting up morning. Modest medicine cannot help her. The church cannot help her. She only ends up with solutions that don't solve. Answers that don't answer. And explanations that don't explain. We bleed too. We suffer from emotional wounds. We wonder if Jesus can really heal our past and our present failures. Some of our worst bleeding that we face is our labels. Labels. At risk. Just because of where I live, I'm at risk. If, if, my, if I have a single parent home and my mother can't afford aftercare, I'm labeled as a latchkey kid. And, and, and if she works to make ends meet, She's labeled by the government. You can't go to school. You have to go to work to get the benefits that I'm giving you. It don't make any sense. Labels. And I don't know about you, but Republicans label and, and Democrats label and Ron Paul, who's independent, they all label. Labels. 
based upon who my mother is or, or who my father is or where they might be now or not be. They're labeled. And I keep on bleeding, trying to find solutions. But I keep on bleeding. And just because I get used to it, you can't label something that you can't understand. And we go to doctors and psychologists to help us. But most of the doctors that she sees is in outpatient clinics. And when we can get, a, get an appointment with a doctor, it's a green neophyte medical resident who don't understand the complexities of epidemiology and immunology. I need an attending physician who can diagnose, who can treat and cure me without doing any tests at all. I need a doctor who don't have to see me or touch me or even know my name. But have more competence, wisdom, and empathy than all of the earthly doctors combined. If we don't do something about our bleeding and our labels, we will die and bleed to death. This week, in a swamp in New Orleans, Dr. Francisco... Pedro Hita, he's the president of a famous university in South America, in, in, in Colombia. He went hiking on a trail with his family. He's an avid bird watcher, and the brother came all the way from Colombia to, to New Orleans to, to do some business, but also to visit family and watch birds. You can watch birds anywhere, but, but he came to New Orleans to, to watch some birds. He wanted to see the, the exotic birds in, in John Lafitte National Park on the West Bank in New Orleans. And while he was watching birds, he got lost because he was looking for a certain type of bird just off of the trail near a pond. But the trail didn't have a clear ending and his map wasn't clear. He didn't know where he was. He was lost. A man who comes from a good family. He has a prestigious job. He has a prestigious label. And he ends up lost in the swamp because he doesn't know where he is. The trail didn't have a clear ending and he was left dehydrated and disoriented on a small island about 300 yards off. He had a map. The brother had a PhD. And he had looked for birds before, but the brother was still lost. I might be the president of a university, but I'm still lost and need to be found. And just because I'm lost, please don't label me before you know me. I need you to help me without judging me. What will you do when I'm stuck in a swamp, no GPS, dehydrated, and left for dead? Can you help me without labeling me? Because how many of you know it's not what they call you, it's what you answer to. Just because you label me something, I don't have to answer to what you label me. We need a savior. Yes, sir. And there is only one. Our only hope is Jesus. Whether we have a GED or a PhD, we need someone who knows the severity of our bleeding, the source of our bleeding, and the cause of our bleeding. We need someone who doesn't need another doctor's consult, who doesn't need to call the insurance company to get, a, to get something pre-approved, who doesn't need a second opinion. Because if I begin to believe in the label, it ends up turning into a self-fulfilling prophecy that, that, that turns into a cycle that I get stuck in and the abnormal in my life becomes normal. The doctor with their superstitions and their formulas, they, they can't help this woman. 
religion and religious behavior can't, can't help her. The law cannot help her. The blood of bulls and goats cannot wash away sin. Every prognosis falls by the wayside. Every diagnosis comes back incurable. The church leaders cast her aside as irredeemable and hopeless. Every doctor's appointment led to greater disappointment when she left. But the Bible says in verse 27 that she heard reports about Jesus. And she came up behind him in the throng and touched his garment. Hope sprang alive in her heart when she heard that this man cast out demons. She heard that those who were sick and demon possessed were healed one Sabbath by just touching his power. She heard that he healed lepers with just a touch. She heard that he healed a paralyzed man who came to a ceiling and Jesus forgave him of his sin. She remembered the prophecy of the Messiah that, that he will take up our sicknesses and carry away our diseases. But she, she wants to see Jesus to talk to him. But this crowd is pressing her. Uh, it's, it's pressing her. While she's being pressed, she's being talked to and labeled. Satan whispers in her ear, he won't accept you. You're just wasting your time. You've come too far. Why did you leave home? You are too abnormal to be accepted by God. Why don't you believe my label? As she's pressing through the crowd, Satan is whispering in her ear, trying to get her to give up. You might as well give up, turn around, and go home. Don't you know that he's too holy? Who are you to approach a holy God? You better stay in your place because God is the one who's punishing you. Satan labels her, but she keeps pressing and she does something significant. She says, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. She doesn't believe the label, but she tells the devil, I am not my condition. And what she says is actually in the imperfect tense, meaning that she keeps repeating, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. For every suggestion of the enemy, she has a promise of God. She doesn't let the problem corrupt the promise. And she presses because she knows that if she says to herself, I am not my condition, my problem will become like the promise. She doesn't listen to the suggestions of the enemy, but she repeats the promises of God. She can't risk him getting away. She's left friends and family and even sanity, but she doesn't feel tired yet. She's come too far to turn around. Nobody told her that the poor would be easy. But she doesn't believe that he brought her this far to leave her. She says, devil, I am not my condition. I might bleed, I might have no money, but I am not my condition. I've heard about Jesus. I've heard that healing comes from touching his clothes. Jesus knows the thoughts of her mind and he's making his way to where she is. And he realizes her great need and Jesus is helping her exercise faith. Jesus intentionally makes himself accessible to her even while the people is pressing him in the crowd. He is healing other people in the crowd. But she is pressing forward in stubborn faith. She's gathering up all the faith in her life to concentrate in this one chance. And she barely misses Jesus with a sidestep. And she sees her chance and she takes it. And she reaches out and touches him. 
She touches the border of the border of the tassels that's at the border of his coat. And the Bible says she is instantly healed. When she touches him, a supernatural chemical reaction takes place. Instantly, her pain and feebleness left her body. She felt she feels the thrill of an electric shock go through every fiber of her being. She can't explain it. She can't rationalize it. She doesn't have a PhD, but she says, I know that I'm healed. Divine platelets and divine red blood cells go from his body to her body. He took all of her mistakes, all of her suffering, all of her pathogens, and healed her with just a touch. And she is instantly healed. The Bible says the fountain of her blood dried up and she's cleansed. No trace of the disease anywhere. He took her blood and gave her his blood. His Holy Spirit power went to the source. By touching him, he was supposed to become unclean. But instead, she became clean. He took her uncleanliness and gave her his majesty. He took the source of death and he makes it a source of life. Jesus takes the source of her sin and makes it the source of her salvation. God goes to the darkest part of her life and he doesn't just label her and point out her condition. He says, I have already provided a solution to your bleeding and to your label. Jesus, with one touch, he does what the doctors couldn't do, what the lawyers couldn't do. She tugged on Superman's cape and power came spilling out. Satan wanted to let sleeping dogs lie, but she opened up a spillway and was overflowed with the dunamis of the Almighty. And the Bible says she is instantly healed. That, that same president that was lost in the swamp. I stopped by to let you know he didn't die in the swamp. He stayed there for four days hoping that he would be rescued. He made a list of observations of birds that was around him. He he was still doing his thing. He was dehydrated. He was disoriented, but he stayed where he was. He didn't know that a rescue plan was being orchestrated that he had. He couldn't contribute to. He couldn't buy, and he couldn't even understand. He didn't know that the helicopters were looking for him. Dozens of rescuers were wading through the swamp looking for him. And when they found him, his PhD didn't help him. His money didn't buy anything. The doctors just attached him to an IV and airlifted him to the hospital. Even though he was lost, he stayed put because he knew that rescuers came to find him. He heard the helicopters flying. He heard the dogs barking, and that gave him hope while he was lost. That's kind of like what Jesus did with me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea, he heard my despairing cry, and from the waters he lifted me, now safe am I. When Jesus was looking for me, he didn't ask my issue. He didn't ask my label. He didn't even ask me if I had health insurance. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. When I touch Jesus, there are no complications. 
No, no recovery time. No post-operative treatment. He changes my name. There's no readmits. There, there's no insurance denials. There's no out-of-pocket copays because he changes my name. I might be a certain woman who's bleeding to death and pressing Jesus in the crowd, but when I touch him, yes, he changes my name. Yes, so I ask you the question, why do I have to be known by my issue? People's names becomes anonymous to their action or notorious behavior. But I, I came to tell you what one preacher told me. Uh, don't, don't let your verbs become your nouns. Don't, don't let your verbs become your nouns. What you do, don't let, the, don't let that define who you are. Just because you act a certain way, it doesn't mean you're the personification of how you act. What, what, what are you talking about? First John 3, 1 to 2 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Yes, sir. And that is what we are. The reason why the world doesn't know you or labels you or puts you down because it doesn't know him. Yeah. Dear friends, now we are children of God. Yeah. Now we are children of God. And whatever we will be has not been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him and we will see him as he is. So that means that I'm justified before I'm qualified. I am a victor while I'm a victim. I might be a slave, but God calls me a son. Don't let your verbs become your nouns. Don't let your actions define who you are. And don't let other people define you based upon mistakes that you've done. My actions testify to who I am. They don't define who I am. It's like Adler, the psychologist. He said there's a difference between personhood and behavior. My function in life, my actions of my life, they are not my identity. Just because you call me a certain woman doesn't mean that I am. Just because I'm bleeding, it doesn't mean that I'm defined by my condition because God has changed my name. Martin Luther King says, God doesn't judge you based upon the isolated actions of your life. Whether they're good or bad, God looks at the trajectory of your life and he gives you the benefit of the doubt. He knows the end from the beginning and he doesn't judge you based upon isolated acts. Don't let your verbs become your nouns. Don't let your vice become your voice. Don't let your problems become your proclaimers. Don't let your inconsistencies become your identity. Don't let your verbs become your nouns. You are not your condition. And Jesus proves it. She repeats to herself at the suggestions of the devil's labels. Because she knows that Jesus was sent to take our mess and give us his life. Isaiah 61 says that he was sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to give freedom to the captives, to release from prison those who are bound, to comfort those who mourn, to give beauty for ashes and gladness for crying, to give a garment of praise instead of a garment of despair. Jesus said, I change labels and give you a new name to prove to you that you are not your condition. 
Check this out. He does it before you touch it. When she touches Jesus, the source of her problem dried up. Jesus gave her for free what she was trying to buy for 12 years. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Come on now. Her bleeding disqualified her from the accepted medical treatment. But it did not disqualify her from an alternative treatment from the hand of the great physician. Her discharge of blood disqualified her from human medicine. But it qualified her for supernatural medicine. We don't know where her flow of blood came, came from. But her discharge of blood gave her a discharge from society. But Jesus' discharge gave her a discharge of power. Uh-huh. But what are you talking about? Her discharge gave her a discharge from her solution. A discharge from religion. A discharge from redemption and from self-esteem. Right. But the very thing that disqualified her made her a perfect candidate for Jesus' clinical trial. Jesus' discharge of power gave her another discharge. Not a discharge of blood. But a discharge of power, Uh a discharge from her predicament, a discharge from her circumstance. How many of you know that when Jesus discharges you, there's no transfer orders. There's no waiting for a bed to open up. You can leave AMA against medical advice. Satan tells you to stay, but Jesus has discharged you. Satan wants to keep you, but Jesus discharges. He discharges you to be the true you that you were created to be. You see, Jesus gave her discharge orders. Uh, And she was just tapping him on the garment to pick him up. Jesus decided to heal her before he ever met her. And all of her suffering, that was for her testimony. Not because God was punishing her. Jesus came from the other side of the sea. Just to meet her. He discharged her and took her discharge and changed her name. If I would ask her to testify, she would use imperfect English and incorrect grammar. She would say, he done changed my name. At first I was a certain woman known by my issue, but now I'm a daughter of Abraham known by my victory. He changed my name. At first I suffered and was afflicted, but now he says, go in peace. He changed my name. At first I suffered under the hands of many physicians, but now I only need one great physician because he changed my name. At first I paid for a heartache, but now I get peace for free because he changed my name. When I reach my destination, Jesus changed my name. He changes my blood type and he changes my identity. I was bleeding, but I kept pressing. I faced obstacles, but I kept pressing. My GPS inside of me kept replanning and recalibrating and refocusing. Every time Jesus moved in the crowd, my GPS said recalculating, recalculating. Until I get to his feet. Where he changes my name. Come on and talk. How many of you know that God will change your name? If you're a liar like Jacob, God will make you an overcomer named Israel. 
if you're childless like Abram, God will change your name and make you the father of many nations. If you're a terrorist like Saul, God will turn you into an evangelist named Paul. There's hope for terrorists in the kingdom of God. And he says, and if we stay faithful, Revelation 3 says, not only will I change your name, but I won't blot out your name. If we stay faithful, he says, I will acknowledge your name before the Father. If we stay faithful, he says, I will write on you a new name, the name of my God and the name of his city. If we stay faithful, he says, he will give us a new name written on white stone, written on your forehead, only known to the one who received it. God will change your name. Yes, he will. He doesn't limit you or label you because of your issue. He changes your name. Yes, he does. Thank you, Jesus. And he does it for free. Thank you, Lord. There was a doctor. There was a doctor in San Salvador in South America a couple of years ago. He is a chief of pediatric services at a, at a children's hospital in New York City. And, you know, doctors get paid a lot of money to do what they do. Half a million dollars to do what they do. Pediatric surgeons probably don't get paid that much. And, and, and to give back, whether because of guilt or altruism, whatever, they, 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 they go on these charity missions. And this doctor goes to San Salvador to operate on a young eight-year-old boy who has a defect in his aortic valve. It's a 12-hour surgery, and the doctor flies from New York to San Salvador to do it. And this pediatric surgeon starts the, the surgery. He's, he's going to replace the aortic, the aortic valve with another valve and then replace that valve with a plastic valve. Probably got skills. And eight hours into the surgery, the doctor realizes that he doesn't have enough blood. The young boy is bleeding out. See, before you might have surgery, the doctors might store some of your blood or, or, or have some blood from the blood bank brought up to the surgery suite. Because when the, when the operation starts, no one can be let in. Eight hours into the surgery, knowing that there's only four hours left, See, the, the, the special thing about this young eight-year-old boy is that he had a rare blood type that only 2% of the, the population of the entire world has. I think it was B positive. And the doctor was in the middle of the jungle with no blood. And here's this doctor who's performing this, this procedure for free. He's come from New York City to San Salvador and finds out that there's not enough blood. And the blood that's there is not enough. And the surgeon asked the other doctors, what's his blood type? And when they told him it would be positive, the doctor said, wait a minute. That's my blood type. We don't have enough blood here, so I'm going to stop surgery and donate my own blood. And for 20 minutes, an IV was set up from the surgeon that was already saving the young boy's life. The doctor was giving the young man blood 
while he was operating on him. And after 20 minutes, the doctor goes back to the surgery and saves the young boy's life. But, but when I see something like that, I, I think of Jesus who already created me, who already redeemed me, and he knows that my heart is all jacked up, that I'm labeled by this and I'm, and I'm labeled by, by that. Because when you go into a hospital, you get a label. You're known by your label, by your patient identifier. They give you a medical record number. They give you two of them. And based upon your label and your diagnosis, it'll dictate your plan of care. But I haven't met one doctor in my three years of working in the hospital that will stop what he's doing and donate his own blood. That is exactly what Jesus did for you. We couldn't pay for nothing. Jesus didn't just come from New York City to San Salvador. The brother came from heaven to earth. And while he was in the process of redeeming us, he saw that there was more blood required for our salvation than there was available. And what he did on the cross, the brother stopped dying to give blood to the thief on the cross, to the people who were killing him, because he knows that when he changes our name, we'll need a new start. We'll need a new identity. And because our blood type called sin is very rare, there's only one person that can give us a blood transfer. There's only one. I don't know about you, but I want the blood of Jesus to not only save me from my condition, but change my name. If you want God to change your name, I invite you to stand for the If there is something in your life that you've been bleeding from, that you want to give to God, I invite you to come to the front. I'm going to pray a special prayer of deliverance just for you. If you're a certain woman or a certain man or a certain girl or a certain boy and you want Jesus to heal you. Amen. You might think that he's on his way to do something else, but he stops and meets people where they are. Thank you, Jesus. And he says, I have already provided a solution before your problem ever existed. Even the labels that you give yourself because of your race or because of your complexion of your skin or because of your educational status. Jesus doesn't label you. What he does is your name. Bow your head. Father, the world disqualifies And, and I don't care what Jay-Z said, who said that Jesus can't save you, and real life begins when church ends. Well, Jay-Z, you can go straight to where you came from. If Jesus can't save me, then he can. There's only one. I have the rarest blood type, and no angel could help me. No human could help me. Even the saints who walked before me cannot help me. There is only one who can help me. I need the great physician not to just operate on me, but give me his blood. And Father, we're just like that young boy. We're unconscious. Can't help ourselves. We can't ask for what we need because we don't even know what we need. But we're there with our chests open, hoping that you will save us and that you will complete what you need. And when 
there are obstacles that require blood. Blood. Give it to us, baby. Give us a new name. Not our slave name, not an earthly name, but you give us a new name that you're writing on our foreheads. Father, we want that name. Father, we want the name of your son. Father, that is our prayer. That is our plea. Father, I ask that you go to the darkest part of these person's life and heal them so their fountain will dry up. And that fountain that was a source of death, that wound will be used for ministry and healing in other people's life. Father, I ask that your spirit would do that even now. And hush all of the voices and all of the labels that the enemy tries to suggest to us while we are on our way to you. Father, we ask you not because we deserve it or because we are worthy, but because of your matchless son. Thank you, All of those who need a new name, I invite you to say Amen.